0: This week, Tasha Radel takes a closer look at the opioid addiction crisis in the U.S. and Minnesota, Bill Werner explores Minnesota's ranking among the states in preventing government corruption, and Mike Grimm chats with another Rio Olympic hero with Minnesota ties. But first... It doesn't
1: look good right now. The thing we have to all remember is this is about the team. This isn't about a one-man deal, you know, we all feel terrible, but uh, this is about the team. We have a good team.
2: With the ACL injury, that's one of the main supporting ligaments in the knee and when that's torn it can be very difficult for people to be you know, functioning at a high level in cutting and pivoting activities, obviously football being one of those.
1: No one's going to feel sorry for us. No one's going to cry the Tennessee Titans or the Green Bay Packers or we can go down the schedule. No one's going to feel sorry for us if that's the case. So um, I'm not going to feel sorry for us either. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to let this team feel
3: sorry for itself.
2: We always think of ACL reconstruction rehabilitation requiring at least six to nine months and usually on the longer side for the higher level activity and sometimes it can be longer.
0: When Teddy Bridgewater dislocated his knee on Tuesday, it broke the hearts of Vikings fans all over the country. The injury was shocking, but the Purple Faithful aren't counting the team or Teddy out just yet. I commiserated with fans at the Vikings' final preseason game at U.S. Bank Stadium. Tracy Bono from Lewiston was at the State Fair when he heard about Teddy's injury.
4: And it just, there was this big cloud of gloom that
0: fell over everybody there. Now that you've had a couple days to sort of have it settle in, how do you feel
4: about it? I think we'll be okay. I mean, it's not we're not an offense built to go down the field. It's it's a ground and pound, so I think we'll be all right. Tracy
0: hopes in some way Teddy's injury makes the team stronger.
4: Oh, Teddy's a great guy. I mean, the whole team loves him. This this might actually pull them together a little bit more. They're they're all going to fight for each other, so we'll be all right.
0: You know, people were pretty hopeful towards the beginning of the season about the Vikings going to the Super Bowl this year. What do you think their chances are?
4: Oh, they might be a year or two away from that, but, you know, this, this might hurt that a little bit. But they're an up-and-coming team. Like Zimmer said, don't count us out.
0: Leslie from Winnipeg, Manitoba has been a Vikings fan since the Bud Grant days and says when she found out about the injury...
5: I was heartbroken. I felt very sorry for Teddy. Yeah. You know, I, I just wish him the best and... Uh, I wasn't even that concerned about football. I was more concerned with Teddy.
0: Looking ahead, Leslie says...
5: Well, I I think we need a a, a veteran quarterback. Not too veteran, maybe. But uh, (laughs)
0: Anybody in particular you have in mind?
5: I don't really care for any of the names thrown out. (laughs) So I I don't know. I don't know.
0: Here's John from Brooklyn Park. You're wearing a Teddy Bridgewater jersey, so I'm assuming you're a fan of his and of the Vikings. Where were you when you heard about his injury? I was at work
6: and everyone around me just absolutely lost it the fact that uh oh and his last press release that he just uh came out with what a class act supporting the team from ground zero i think uh i think we we'll probably see him in uh 2018 in this building for the Super Bowl.
0: Brandon Jackson is from Wisconsin, but he's a Vikings fan and he's pretty blunt about his reaction to Teddy's injury.
7: Devastated. I thought we had Super Bowl uh, aspirations this year and um, now I don't know if we're gonna make it to the playoffs.
0: People have been saying, you know, folks that have been Vikings fans for a long time have had their hearts broken over and over again that there might be some sort of a curse. Tell me what your shirt says. Uh, if being a Viking fan was easier to be called your mom. Can you give me a little bit of the backstory about being from Wisconsin, but being a Viking fan?
7: It's hard with the Packers there, I mean, uh, people give you crap year in and year out, and this was the first year no one was saying anything to me, and now everybody wants to get at me on Facebook and stuff like that, but it comes with the territory, I guess. Are you originally from Wisconsin?
0: I guess you can say that, yeah. So how did you end up being a Viking fan? I'm smarter than people in Wisconsin. Brandon was the only fan I spoke to who seems to have lost some hope, but for those Vikings fans who remain hopeful, the final word comes from former Viking benchwarmer Bob Lertzma.
8: Teddy Bridgewater, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful kid! I, just the best. Can't say nothing. But the thing of it is, Sean Hill, 15-year veteran, is going to come in there. You got Adrian Peterson coming back. And Sean is a very, very adequate quarterback. He reads his progressions faster than what Teddy did, Teddy was learning. So don't worry about Sean. He's going to do very, very well because the, the offensive line is playing so much better. We got Adrian Peterson back. So no, I'm, 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 I'm optimistic. I can't, I don't have any words how bad I feel about Teddy. I mean, nothing I can say is going to make me feel any better. But we're, we're going to do very well this year.
0: I really almost hate to bring this up, but, you know, Vikings fans have had their hearts broken so many times.
8: <laughs> How do they keep coming back? <laughs> you know, they hit Minnesota nice, I guess, when they come back. But when you, I, I, put, I played in a couple Super Bowls, of course, and, and just we never got the breaks. I mean, always something that bit us in the fanny. and I. To this day, it's like the Miami game, the third play of the game, we, we stop them. They call Wally Hildenburg, a linebacker, for holding an offensive lineman. Never saw the... I put my 12 years, never heard of the call, never seen the call, haven't seen it since. And just stuff like that, because we would have been three and out. Instead, they kept them alive, and they scored and got ahead 7 nothing. That was Super Bowl 8.
0: What do you think the record will be this year?
8: Um, they'll have at least 10 wins.
0: And there you have it. After another setback, one of many over the years, people are thinking about Teddy and wishing him the best, and purple hope springs eternal. More Minnesota Matters after this.
2: As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How
8: do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to
7: college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, Our son has autism.
5: Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The U.S. is facing one of the worst opioid addiction epidemics in its history. MNN's Tasha Radel takes a closer look at what exactly is fueling this crisis.
3: Joining me now is Lexi reed Holtum, Executive Director of the Minnesota-based Steve Rumler Hope Foundation. Lexi, before we dive in, can you tell me a little bit about the foundation itself?
9: The foundation was created in 2011 after the death. Of Steve Rumler. Steve was my fiancé. Um, his parents, Bill and Judy Rumler, started the foundation after Steve died of an opioid overdose. What happened for him was he had chronic pain and he was prescribed opioids. He became addicted to those opioids, went to treatment, and after treatment, relapsed and tried heroin for the first time. And overdosed and died that evening when he tried it. Just as a side note, the molecular structure of prescription pain pills and heroin is really the same thing. So um, one is just an illegal street drug. The other one is prescribed. But what happens physiologically in your body and in your brain is exactly identical.
3: Lexi, statistics show that four out of five new heroin users started out with prescription pills. Now, is this because heroin is cheaper and easier for an addict to get their hands on?
9: We know that prescription pain pills are extremely expensive to purchase. We do know that the cost of the street value is much, much less than the value of an oxy, for example, so I, the, what, your question, yes, it is cheaper and likely easier to get heroin than it is to get prescription pain pills.
3: And, you know, I know uh, your organization has been very instrumental uh, in the push for uh, what I call, and I might not be saying this right, uh, Narcan. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
9: Yeah, I sure can. So... Um, Narcan is the brand name for naloxone. Naloxone is the antidote. You have to have it if somebody overdoses on an opioid to save that person's life. It is a completely safe, um, benign drug. So what that means is it, it, it has no abuse potential. It um, does no harm if you don't need it and you are given it. It will not harm you. Um, what what we know to be true is that it can be used by, it can be and is used by lay people to save lives across our nation. Um, it's that simple to use it, that any individual can use it to save a life. You don't have to be a trained medical person. And because it doesn't have side effects, um, that its only job is to go, when it's given to an individual, it goes to their brain, binds with the receptor in the brain that uptakes opioids. It literally pushes them off of the receptor, and that allows the person to start breathing again.
3: Now, if this is such a life-saving drug, why can't more people get their hands on it? Is
9: this cost-related? This is a really important thing to be talking about. Because the reality is that the cost of naloxone or Narcan has gone up so much in the last seven, eight months that it has become incredibly unaffordable for the average person. Um, and it's the, the availability of nonprofits like ours, like the Steve Rumler Hope Foundation or other harm reduction entities across the nation to get a reduced price um, at the goodwill of the manufacturers who make this antidote has also been um, difficult to, to attain over the last several months. So that's put our state and our nation in a position where we're not getting naloxone into the hands of as many lay people as we need to. If we do not have availability because it's too expensive for people to be able to um, go to their doctor, because in our state you can go to your doctor and you can ask for naloxone, For I can go to my doctor and tell my doctor, hey, my neighbor is an elderly gentleman and he's on high doses of painkillers. And he drinks. And I'm really concerned that he's going to overdose. I want to be able to save his life. I want you to write me a prescription for naloxone or Narcan. And that doctor has the right to do that for you. And so, but if I get a prescription and I go to fill it and it literally costs me $3,700 to purchase this product, I can't, I can't afford that.
3: Lexi, looking back to when the Steve Rummler Hope Foundation was first form, formed, I should say, did you folks have any idea of how big of a problem
9: opioid addiction truly was? When we started it, we really didn't understand what we were embarking on. We had no idea that what happened to Steve was happening to hundreds of thousands of Americans across our country. And but quickly we found out that we were um, that there was A national epidemic um, of opioid overdose deaths occurring. And so when we got started, we found that there was a tremendous need for all of the work that we do.
3: Thanks again to Lexi Reed Holtham, Executive Director of the Minnesota-based Steve Rumler Hope Foundation. Back to you, Scott.
0: Thank you, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this.
10: Sometimes, a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, the charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help donate in staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org
7: who might you save
10: your mother your father your husband uncle and son
7: learn fast F-A-S-T the sudden signs of a stroke and you could save
5: your friend your best friend teacher boss coach
7: F face drooping A arm weakness S speech difficulty T time to call 911 F-A-S-T face arm speech time That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of
5: your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather.
7: So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you.
5: Your wife, your colleague, teammate.
7: Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesotans generally tout their government as one of the cleanest in the nation, but recent studies show the state may be falling behind others in laws and other regulations to prevent corruption. One well known academic is pushing to change that, and MNN's Bill Werner is here with the details.
1: Well, Scott, the Joyce Foundation and the Hewlett Foundation recently made a $750,000 grant to come up with possible solutions. And Hamlin University professor David Schultz is working on setting up what are called Minnesota Citizens Assemblies.
6: What the Citizens' Assembly Project is, is an idea that says that if we can get local citizens together, you know, local communities um, to discuss, you know, educate them about a variety of issues about politics and government, they can make some pretty informed choices about how they want the structure of their local government to look. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pick two or three communities across Minnesota, haven't selected them yet, and over the next year to 18 months I'm going to be working with Forge Works out of Northwestern and the Jefferson Center out of st. Paul and we're going to select those cities um, select individuals to become part of those assemblies and and really talk all about um, um, local government local government options sign up what some of their issues are and see what they come up with
1: in terms of uh, uh, of structures of governance and electoral reforms where are the problem areas in Minnesota well
6: first take us back about 25 years ago to about 1990, 1994, let's say 1994, Minnesota was nationally ranked and recognized as one of the leaders in government reform in terms of conflict of interest policies, campaign finance reform, disclosure, and a whole host of areas. And in the last 20, 22 years, 25 years, we have sort of rested on our laurels. We've not made any, made any major reforms at the state level, um, very little at the local level, and we have fallen behind um, you know, the federal government and many states in this country now in terms of, again, things such as transparency, conflicts of interest, openness in government, um, um, disclosure of political contributions. And so we now come in with generally, according to the Center of Public Integrity, a nonpartisan group that's very well respected in terms of um, how looking at issues of ex- ethics in government. We generally come in with Ds as in dogs, Ds and Fs in terms of grades um, for the quality of our government. And so given the fact that there looks like there's no real opportunity at at the state level um, to break the stalemate that we're in in terms of any other policy issues, let alone government reform, the idea was can we now explore possibilities for for government reform um... at the local level
1: ultimately where does this go are there recommendations uh... that come out of it or or what happens to the information that you uh... that you gather and the conclusions that you draw
6: okay well but the grants the grant funders um... want the citizens assemblies from from these different cities to come up you know, with a series of recommendations um... in terms of how they would like to improve their local government That's the extent of what the grant covers, because clearly grants don't cover political action, don't cover lobbying. Clearly the hope would be that if, beyond the grant, that if these local communities say, For example, we need a, a, let's say, ranked choice voting in our community, or we need more campaign finance, you know, reforms at the local level. Um, These citizen assemblies on their own would be able to then move to be able to um, get their local public officials and other citizens to be able to push for these reforms. And,
1: Scott, Professor Schultz says they hope the effort will strengthen local governance and provide blueprints for government reform. Thank you, Bill, and we'll be hearing a little bit more from Bill later in the
0: show. More Minnesota Matters after this.
5: Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition Program we can offers all kinds of resources including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle we're not saying it's easy we are saying that it can be done take the first step today Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. It was a big Olympic experience for a former Gopher swimmer last month. MN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with the hero earlier this week.
4: David Plummer won a bronze medal in the Rio Olympics in the 100-meter backstroke, and the gold medal is part of the 4 x 100 medley relay team.
2: We had a great experience. You know, we really got taken care of at, at camps, and uh, you know, being a part of the Olympic Village is is uh, it's a really cool thing. You know, be be able to see. Uh, you know, people from all over the place, and uh, just be a be a part of that for a few weeks is uh, it was awesome. Yeah.
4: When you uh, work really kind of your whole life, right, to, to be part of an Olympic team, what's it feel like when one you make the team, that emotion, and then two, now you come home with a couple of uh, important medals.
2: Um, well, I, I kept saying it's a dream come true. Um, it was it was one of those things that, like you said, I've been been thinking about that since. I met my first Olympian when I was maybe six or seven years old, um, so yeah, just just a dream come true. And uh, but but really, for the most part, the 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 moments that sort of stood out for me were, were those moments with my family. You know, after I made the team in Omaha and um, after semifinals and after finals, um, just getting to getting to spend that time with them and. Um, you know, the support I got from them was, was just so positive and, and those moments are the ones that, that really stand out. When that anthem plays and you're standing on the podium, how about that? It's amazing. Um, yeah, you know, uh, some people sang really loud. Some people, some people didn't sing, get a little nervous, but, uh, I, uh, I kind of tried to mostly just to like stop myself from crying, you know, like the whole time I'm, I'm just standing there, not n- trying not to ball on the, on the podium, but, uh, but it it was amazing, you know, to have to have two American flags up there. That's that's the dream, um, and and my wife and my older brother were, you know, came down were were kind of right there as as the whole thing was going on. So that's it's as good as it gets.
4: When um, a, a, as it was all unfolding, uh, obviously you were part of the relay team as well, which won gold. Um, then you come home with the two medals. Do you have? I mean, what do you do? Do you hang them on a mantle? Do you put them in a case? Uh, I, I mean, I know you've been able to to show them off a few at a few different places, but uh, do you have a plan to to how you display those?
2: Um, well, as I've been traveling around with my family, they've mostly been in the diaper bag. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but no, for now, uh, you know, when I take them out when when I need them, and um, you know, come over here and, and show them around at the at the offices and, and to my coaches and stuff like that. But but no, honestly, I think, I think they'll, they'll take up space in the closet. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things. It was, it was a wonderful experience, but, uh, I keep saying that I I really think that, that the best part of the entire experience was, you know, what I got out of it in the four years leading up to it. Um, that's, that's the big takeaway and, uh, getting some medals at the end of it was, was fantastic and awesome. But, uh, you know, that'll, that'll be kind of a footnote to the story for me. You're a native Oklahoman, but you came here to swim for the
4: Golden Gophers at the University of Minnesota back in 2004. And for the most part, that has really been, uh, the Twin Cities have been your area of residence. And now um, you're back, you're an Olympian, uh, you're a medal winner. And um, you're also now serving an internship. Is that right? At the University of Minnesota Athletic Department, take us through uh, what's going on in your life now.
2: Uh, yeah, so I started, I started, uh, last Monday. So this is, this is my first week. Um, you know, my, my hope is just, uh, just to continue to be a part of the community, um, to give back to, you know, the, the people that were in my situation. Um, swimming, swimming really changed the trajectory of my life, um, for the better. And, uh, if I can be a, a small part of, giving those opportunities to, to incoming students, I'd, I'd love to be a part of that and, and, you know, just kind of as an intern get, get the hang of things and, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully just give back a little.
4: Yeah. I got to ask you, because um, you were a teammate of his, what, what's Ryan Locke do you like? I mean, we don't have to get into the specifics of what made him an, an international story, but, uh, in fact, you were part of the relay team uh, that he was part of that you guys won the medal. Um, what, what's he like?
2: You know, he, honestly, he's one of the most most genuine, nice guys you'll ever meet. Um, I, I've never seen anyone treat their fans better than Ryan does. Um, that guy will will stay late wherever he's at, signing autographs for kids and taking pictures. And he really is uh, a genuine, nice guy. Um, so it's it's disappointing that that things have happened the way they have. And hopefully, he can learn from some mistakes and and get back to doing what he does, which is. Being great to the people that follow him.
4: The other guy uh, that certainly makes a lot of news in the swimming world. I mean, in terms of you know mega stars Michael Phelps. Can you tell us what, what your impression and uh, being a teammate of Michael Phelps?
2: Yeah, it's it's great. Um, you know, to, uh, so he was uh, another another of my roommates. We uh, we got to hang out just a little bit. You know, we we watched Hoosiers a couple nights before the meet started, and uh, you know. Just just trying to soak in a little bit from the, uh, you know, one of the guys that's found a way to be the best of all time. Very good. We appreciate it. Congratulations. Enjoy it. Yeah, thanks so much.
4: That's Olympic gold medal winner David Plummer on Minnesota Matters. Scott?
0: Thank you, Mike. We're going to switch gears as we wrap up this week's show. Even though the statue of Mary Tyler Moore is in storage while the Nicollet Mall gets a facelift, and even though the twins are in town this weekend... We turn again to m and Bill Werner, who's been thinking about times past.
1: As I sit here in my office in downtown Minneapolis, finishing up the last of my work at the start of the long holiday weekend, I look out my sooty window and realize everybody's out of here. I have to admit, I don't mind it, even though the price I pay for my seclusion is working some overtime. It reminds me of when I was a boy, and my father and I used to come down here on the weekends before downtown was fashionable, and we had the place to ourselves. We could do what we wanted. We could go where we wished with nobody to get in our way. No civilians, is what I think he used to say. When I'm down here now with all the masses all gone up north, I think of a sweet old song of many, many years ago. ¶¶ The cover of the LP album features Mr. Billy Joe Thomas standing at the corner of Wall Street and wherever, and it is deserted. But in my case, it's the statue of Mary Tyler Moore about three blocks away, and her hat is in the air, and the wind is whistling down the Nicollet Mall, and there is nobody in sight. Not even the usual panhandlers and stragglers, the gang wannabes, and the assorted hangers-on. No more pop flies over at the ballpark. No more joyous cries. And
7: it looks like we're ready to give it one more try. This time there'll be no alibi. I
1: suggest for your possible reading a book by a man named Alan Wiseman. And he is. Entitled The World Without Us. The premise is that all of a sudden we're all gone. Every last one of us sort of the rapture without spiritual screening, and what happens to all of our things and the buildings that they're in when the rains come and the sun beats down and the first chink opens up in the armor and it widens and deepens and spreads, and eventually capitals and cathedrals come crashing down to dust. Now that's something to think about when you're fixing the roof on your cabin this weekend. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network.
0: And in the interest of full disclosure, Bill recorded that on an earlier deserted holiday weekend in downtown Minneapolis, and he's left town himself. He's now somewhere out west in Nebraska, I think. That's going to do it for this week. Tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.